Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Alexander Audio, and today my guest is Frannis Engel, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Waimea on the Big Island of Hawaii. And Frannis, uh, like myself, uh, studied extensively with the late Marjorie Barstow of Lincoln, Nebraska, who was uh, the first person to graduate from Alexander, F. Matthias Alexander's first training course. And we're going to talk today about our experience with Marge and how her work fits in, or differs, or maybe is the same as uh, some, some other uh, as, uh, approaches to the Alexander technique. Frannis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Robert. I'm glad to be here. Well, Frannis, I'm glad I'm glad to have you here, and I wonder if you could maybe share your first impression of Marge. Well, I heard about Marge long before I met her, because uh, I was partners with a guy who was in a training course who used to invite master teachers over to meet them and take over the course for a while. This was at Frank Ottowell in Giora Pincus, the course they had started in called ACAT in San Francisco right. in, the, in the mid-1970s. Ancient Alexander history, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and in that era, what was interesting about that era that's very different from now is that no one besides Alexander himself had written books about Alexander Technique, exactly what it was and how it worked and what its principles were. Because pretty much it was taught hands-on. The, the teacher even chatted while they were teaching you, thinking that what you had to say had nothing to do with what you were really learning underneath what you were talking about. And I think that Marjorie Barstow was the first person who saw, a first teacher who saw that the way that people talked about something had something to do with the way they were responding and learning. Mm -hmm. So she, she was one of the first teachers to integrate talking about the Alexander Technique while it was happening. She would encourage people to to say something about what they were experiencing, which was unusual in that era. Mm. And actually, when you talk about that, it reminds me of uh, the when I was in England in the late 80s. I think it was the f second International Alexander uh, Congress. So I think it was 1988. And Marge gave a workshop in London, some workshops in London, uh, for teachers there, and I can remember so, uh, someone was working with a, a student for a long time, and Marge finally said, do you ever talk to your students? <laughs> and, it, you know, it was kind of, even then, a bit of an unusual approach. Yeah. That's right. And I actually had the pleasure of being able to go to the STAT, well, STAT uh, Society of Alexander Technique Teachers in London. I got to go to their um, archives and look, and it wasn't really until about the mid-1980s that people started writing about Alexander Technique. 
Before then, it was extremely rare that there was ever an article other than just saying you should have a experience with the teacher. Mm-hmm. They didn't explain what it was or how it worked. They just kind of sold it through the mystique and the fact that uh, famous people had had learned it. Yeah, I think Frank Pierce Jones is probably an exception to that. And he Absolutely. was he was writing in the seventies, and he did try to explain. And there were there were one or two books, but you're right. Uh, there was this idea that. And and I think it was coupled with the idea that here Alexander spent, as the legend went, ten or possibly nine years of uh, self-experimentation, and then he emerged with the knowledge, uh, which of course is completely false, we now know. But there was this idea that he did this amazing thing that no one else could ever do, and so teachers of his work were the only way that highly trained teachers of his work were the only way that you could access his ideas. And of course, and to, yeah, to, go to, ahead. To a great extent, that was true. Yeah. And Marge took quite a different approach to that. Um, she, you might say she was a... a um, uh, kind of a force for democracy in that <laughs> kind of a um, kind of an Alexander Spring, you might say, in today's terminology. Sure. Uh, so, ex- yeah, go the ahead. The way she explained it to me is that she learned the Alexander technique in another culture, and it was her job to decide and look at how she was going to teach Alexander's principles to the American culture. Yes, and the American culture in the 30s, when she got back, eventually got back to Lincoln, was very, very, very different than the than what she had experienced uh, in London. Um, and 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 also, you know, as part of that talking to the student, uh, another way of of saying that was that she was she was encouraging the, the student to start thinking about how their thoughts influenced the quality of their movement. And she would do that really right from the beginning of working with anybody. And that for sure was not part of the standard methodology of the time. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about your early uh, experience with Marge? Well, the first time I really had experiences with Marge, um, I was in a training program at Frank and Gura's and um, it was about 1978, I think, maybe it was 77. And what I did was I noticed that she was saying a lot of the same things over and over with people. And so just to being a good student, taking notes, I wrote some of these things down that she was saying. And also I really enjoyed about uh, Frank Pierce Jones, The Resurrection of the Body by Maisel. Was that Maisel? Yeah, Maisel. Maisel, that's Mm -hmm. it. Uh, The part I enjoyed the most were the teaching aphorisms, where Alexander would say a little pithy thing about the Alexander technique. Right. The quotes. Right, and there are a lot of aphorisms from Marge Barstow. Uh, some of them are online at her website, marjoriebarstow.com, 
And there are many, many others out there. You probably have your own personal collection at this point. I do. I do. Yeah. And so I wrote these down, and I handed them out to the other members of my class. Uh-huh. And she ran into this list and went, oh, that's interesting. Yes, I do say these things. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And as time went on, um, I mean, I started, I didn't really, uh, I guess my first encounter with Marge was uh, 1979. And uh, I started writing down, I guess like you did, little. whenever she said anything interesting, I would write it down as well. And keep and I kept a record of that, and uh, eventually the time came whenever Marge said anything that she thought might be interesting. She turned to me, and say, "Bob, make sure you write that down." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was a character, but and so so apart from, uh, I guess I well, certainly she was more interested in getting people to think for themselves early on than perhaps most. Alexander teachers were and perhaps more than many Alexander teachers still are the other th another aspect of her work which really uh, distinguished her at the time from everybody else was the fact that she was working with groups and often extremely large groups 70 80 100 people or more and of course that you never saw in uh, in England in the late 70s or 80s um, would you like to say something about how she managed to pull that off? It was a very interesting situation because she rented a um, sorority house for us all to stay in. Right. So most of the people who were at the workshop were staying at this huge sorority house. And, of course, we there wasn't room to share rooms so we there were you know five and six people to a room and mm -hmm. and we just had a tremendously fun time together because everyone was trading whatever it is they knew and we had a talent show and you know all the things that go on at workshops in that era were happening that was made it so fun but the the other interesting thing that has been mentioned is that because she was a senior teacher all of us were her students. No matter what our experience with the Alexander Technique was, we were all there to learn from her. So it was really fun to level the playing field with your teacher, who was also at the workshop, learning. Mm -hmm. Or someone who just walked in off the street. Right. And so there wasn't a... Uh, there was a wonderful egalitarian quality of it. And, and it was really interesting. Like, I know... Um, one person who walked in uh, who, who had heard of her was a tennis pro who had gotten into an automobile accident and lost her juju, you know, mm -hmm. lost her swing, lost her coordination that she had innately developed and then lost because of the accident and didn't know how to get it back. And um, it was fascinating to look at... Um, what made Marge work with a certain person longer? Why did she do what she did? Um, why would she, why was she able to, it seemed like she was able to just give someone as much as they were able to accept, you know, what made her 
decide that enough was enough? And why with other people would she just completely be as generous as she wanted to because she thought maybe they could handle it in some way? It was fascinating to watch. And that's why it was so interesting to just sit there and watch her work with one person after another. Plus, the group situation made it a certain amount of of uh, pressure because a performance experience because one of the things that was so interesting about being in a big group of you know more people than you really knew looking at you is a lot of us have anxiety about public speaking and pretty much if you're an Alexander teacher you have to get over being a public speaker and so there was the perfect situation in a group situation where you had to walk your talk and do what you said you were going to do and demonstrate your intention, state your intention, demonstrate it, do the best that you could do while under pressure from everyone else who could see exactly what you were doing because Marge used the class to train us to see the most subtle mannerisms of movement as they were being demonstrated. Yeah, and an awful lot, as you say, you could learn a lot from just watching her. It it almost seemed as though, I know I had the experience more than once, of noticing a physical change in me um, just from just from paying attention to her working with someone else. And she she had that power, you might say. I don't know. I think she just uh, exemplified something that uh, transmitted itself to anyone who cared to pay attention. Yeah, and it was always interesting. Well, of course, in a big group like that, you would say, okay, uh, how could I, what makes Marge work with someone longer? And so I would observe when the when she'd work with somebody and they'd say, "Oh, that's interesting," or "Oh, that's good," or she would stop, and and when the person would would work with her and then make an observation or uh, ask a question or or talk about what it was they were experiencing as they were experiencing, and she would continue to work with them. Mm-hmm. So that trained me to be a better observer because I thought, okay, my next turn with Marge, I'm going to pay attention what's going on with my whole body instead of just this thing that she's paying attention to. What effect does it have on the rest of me? And I'm going to make an observation because I'm going to be paying attention. And sure enough, because my attention was that, um, it was it was possible to be able to pay attention to more. It was almost as if the skill that you're learning in Alexander Technique is to widen your field of awareness so that you're not uh, focused like a searchlight. Your ability is more like a, a moving MRI throughout your body, that you're developing the capacity to not just pay attention to what you're head and neck are doing but then include your shoulders and your back and more of your back and your hips and your knees and the rest of you and how that relationship is going and sustain it it's almost as if your tolerance for the unfamiliar was directly challenged by your work with the teacher 
Yeah, cool. uh, it was cool. And I have to say, there were some uh, less uh, um, noble strategies for <laughs> getting uh, some uh, hand time with Marge. Uh, certainly, <laughs> um, it was really good to be a singer, or at least to um, be willing to sing or a musician of any kind. She, she, or You definitely wanted to have some activities uh, that you could work with uh, at a at a moment at an instant's notice. Uh, I I I took to singing basically because it wasn't much else I could do, and I was a little terrified to um, use. Uh, I I didn't want to say to Marge, "Well, I'd like some help teaching somebody," because I, I was already in. I was well. I was when I first met her. I was about halfway through the training course, but most of the time I studied with her, I was a teacher and I didn't I wasn't real comfortable going that route because I'd seen what happened to other people it was a scare she was 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 tough she was tough and extremely absolute and if you weren't capable of doing the most simple thing she would take you back to the beginning in the the drop of a hat yeah like walking over to the student what what are you you thinking about uh yeah so i I was reluctant to uh subject myself to that in the early days and i i i opted more for um a singing strategy uh which worked pretty well actually um uh, you probably you probably remember some of that (laughs) i would say that the, if you want to learn the Alexander Technique the fastest, the best way and the most fastest way to progress is to change the way you're speaking or use your voice in some way. Yeah, yeah. And she, I think she um, uh, she, she was, would constantly come back to voice um, in ways sometimes it seemed a little bizarre, but it sometimes made a lot of sense. I think she had that same idea. Uh, that the, that vo- voice was a key to um, to helping people, and of course, you know the Alexander creation story emphasizes uh, voice quite a bit. But I wanted to say something else about her groups that you may have noticed, because I think we were more or less contemporaries of the whole. Uh, span of her group teaching from the late, certainly from the late 70s through through the 80s. I can remember sometime around 84, 85 coming to the summer workshop at that sorority house at at Wesleyan. And I can remember it would often be a hundred or more people in the room. The numbers were growing pretty fast. Marge was getting older. She uh, she was uh, already well, she was past her mid-80s or in her mid-80s at that point. She was pretty frail. She had a lot of stamina. But I was asking myself the question, uh, if the numbers keep increasing, how is she going to uh, <laughs> manage that? And in fact, the numbers kind of leveled off. And I noticed that her strategy, oh, this is over the years, her strategy, possibly unconscious on her part, I don't know, uh, was to go a lot faster with people early on. In other words, it, I noticed as the years progressed that she would get people to places in a day or two that maybe it took a week or two a few years earlier. 
And that had the effect <laughs> of weeding out some people who just couldn't deal with that. Um, I mean, it was kind of it became a bit of a self-selection process. I mean, the it was you were always anyone was always welcome to come to any of her workshops, and there were always new people. But um, I think it got a little more selective in terms of who stayed with the program later on. Did you notice that at all, or did you have a have a different take on that? What I noticed about her is that she knew exactly how far she was taking you mm-hmm. and and she would um she was challenge she would challenge her idea of how far you could handle by giving you sort of she was famous for giving for taking you farther in your last lesson right when you were leaving the workshop and in a sense. I don't know if you heard about this from other people, but she would kind of plant a, a bomb that would go off at some point later <laughs> that would result in a psychological insight that was so profound it would change things for you that were deeply bar- often deeply buried psychological issues that... Um, uh, you know, she's not a psychologist. No Alexander teacher is this. Well, they might be a concurrent psychologist, trained as a psychologist, but we're we don't get that training in our Alexander technique classes of dealing with people's issues. Uh, so I think that's why she would give us that little extra, take us a little extra far uh, when she was when we were leaving, so that we'd have the time in our own way to deal with it. Did you ever hear about that? Did she ever do you that? You know, I, I never had that experience, but I do think that she was, as you said earlier, she was a master of knowing how much she could zap you with and then letting <laughs> you letting you process. And I think she intuitively understood that um, you people really needed time to process what she they was do. showing them. I mean, she would often say after she worked with someone for, well, why don't you, why don't you sit down and think about that for a while? Right. And she un- understood the value of that downtime. And I think that's one of the ways you might say on, on a time management, from a time management perspective, she was able to work with so many people effectively uh, because certainly if if she were if she had been stuck in the half hour or forty five minute whatever lesson paradigm um that kind it of too much. it would have been too much you could not have um absorbed it and you uh she wouldn't have been able to help near as many people so she in a sense uh the groups got to be the size they got based on her ability to help that many people, uh, you know, 100 people in a class means that um, you're not going to get a lot of hands-on work from Marge. And you might think, oh, gee, I don't know if it's even worth being here. But honestly, it was so worth being there. And the, and you, you progressed just as fast as if there were 10 people in the class. Uh, it, it was pretty pretty amazing in that regard. 
I actually felt thankful that I didn't have to have a long lesson with Marge because I've I, I've experienced um, being taken too far by other Alexander teachers, and mm-hmm. I don't think that it's very constructive to be mm-hmm. taken too far. It's very impressive, mm-hmm. and it does impress you with the power of the Alexander technique to make mm-hmm. changes in you. Mm-hmm. But you you cannot integrate – you integrate changes bit by bit. Mm-hmm. There's a certain – uh, reactive self-protection that rears its head and says, "No, no, this is too much. We mm-hmm. can't do this." Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's a uh, natural block against going too far into the unknown, which may be dangerous. I don't know. It's, it seems to come up when you learn something too, too fast, and the part of you goes, "Uh-uh, it's time to go to sleep." <laughs> yeah, and there was a lot of sleeping going on at those, uh, those summer workshops. I mean, by the time after lunch, people would be sprawled out on car- on the cou- couches and in their rooms. I mean, the, the, it, there was a lot of processing going on. But you know, you, yeah, go ahead. When you think about it, really, the brain was uh, made. The brain. I'm told, was evolved to move our bodies around. So changing the way that you move cars bigger areas of the brain in new pathways than any other action that you can possibly learn. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's so marked that there was a study of uh, college students who were taught to juggle and they were able to measure a whole new area of their brain that evolved to learn the skill it was a measurable area, and then when this college student stopped juggling, that area shrank. And there's also been documentations about, um, uh, for instance, London is a, a notorious for being a hugely complex area, so much that a London cab driver actually has an area of their brain uh, developed in order to handle the map of a huge area like London. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's, so, that's true, and. And in fact, in London, to become a cab driver is a major undertaking. Right. Pe- right. Uh, people spend years uh, scooting around the city on motorbikes and so on to learn every street and every alley and so on. London, it's not just big. It is. It, it has no order. <laughs> it's not like Manhattan or something like that. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but, so there is an actual physical thing that's going on when you're learning about movement that has to be respected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Marge uh, at times would, um, when she was, she wasn't generally inclined to wax philosophical, but occasionally she would. And one of the things that she did say quite often was that in her view, at some time in the future, wasn't really there yet, there would be a true science of human movement and that Alexander's ideas would fit perfectly into that. And in fact, uh, a lot of the uh, neuroscience that's kind of come to the fore in the last few years uh, fits in perfectly with Alexander's uh, ideas. So yeah, she she and of course she was not a scientist she was no. she was uh, 
a little old lady who lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, you know, she was not an intellectual in the normal sense of that word, but she did, uh, she did have a pretty profound understanding of movement and, and so on. I want to get back to your, um, uh, point about, um, not spending inordinate amounts of time with any one student. Um, I don't think you were uh, around in Lincoln at the end of Marge's life in the in the 90s, but everything changed very dramatically um, starting around 92. When she, I guess she was around 93 years old herself. There came a period when she was really not able anymore to work with groups. She just didn't have the uh, ability to take in a lot of people. I think her last group classes were maybe 91, maybe early 92. And after that, the way you would access her teaching is you would you would arrange a time to come over to her house and hang out with her. Usually it was just you and Marge and the home health aide who would always stand behind her to make sure she didn't fall over backwards. And Marge, um, Marge's way of teaching became mostly nonverbal and the lessons would last forever, hour, two hours sometimes, with a little break here and there. And it was all her running her hands along your body. She would, it was very important or very useful to wear shirts with vertical stripes. That was really a good thing to do because she would trace out those patterns. And she was doing a kind of um, hands-on work that I a little bit would connect with something like really good cranial work, but it craniosacral work, but it was much, much more powerful. And she was able to do that in a way that didn't blow your circuits. Wow. Yeah. It was like a whole different thing that that probably took place over about a two year period. There were not a lot of people who experienced it, maybe a dozen or so of us. Sometimes she w- two people would come over together and she would work with one person or another. And you never knew how long it was going to last. And there'd be periods of sitting and just talking to her. Um, but um, it, was, it was exactly the kind of work that she would never do before. Hmm. And it was incredibly powerful work, is all I can say. I think Frank Ottawell, who you one of the people you trained with, he was out here during that period and he he wrote somewhere about how he was just standing next to Marge and she put a hand on his arm or his hand or something like that and he felt his entire body just expanding in, in some totally different way. And that's exactly the kind of thing that would happen uh, at, at that late period. What so. I thought was she essentially exemplified a lot of uh, sort of a Zen teacher in many ways because she was so interested in having you pay pay attention now, what you were doing now. She was a totally in the moment girl. Yeah. 
she had very she ne- she was not interested in talking about the past she it was very hard generally to get her to talk about her early experiences with Alexander or what happened yesterday in class she just wasn't interested and it was difficult um i had some occasion to talk with her about principles and her experiences with um the Alexander technique and why she taught the way she did because uh, when uh, I went about halfway through Frank and Giora's course and um, things got complicated for me and I had to quit my training for a while and when Marge found out about that she offered to teach me in exchange for me writing about her approach and the way that she taught. So we would she would send me the impressions of people who had written her letters after workshops that she had done. And it was quite a challenge to um, the process I went through to write about her work. And I would write about it and then call her up, write her a letter, and uh, bring it with me when I would see her. And we'd sit down and she would tear it to shreds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she was a good editor. She was a tough and good editor. Which I is probably that. which is probably why she wasn't really a writer because it was easier for her to be an editor than it was for her to be a mm-hmm. writer. She wrote very little. She did write a few things, and whenever she did write anything, it was precise and clear and totally uh, to the point. But that wasn't her main avenue of expression, for sure. No, um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, <laughs> it, uh, is there anything else that you want to add before we we come to an end about March? When you find somebody who can teach you, and it and it really doesn't matter if other people understand what a what that teacher has to offer you. It's so interesting to to know that there are many people that have things to offer you in the world as a student pay attention because the time that you spend with somebody when you're learning there ask yourself questions like why did they do that and nowadays you can actually ask the teacher how come you did that why are you putting your hands that way on me where what do you mean when you say this and Pretty much, the teacher will actually answer you. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that is true today. Uh, yeah. But as you said earlier, it wasn't the way things were expected to be back in the day, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. and it's so special when you find somebody. It's so, it's so amazing when you find somebody who can teach you. It doesn't matter if you can't explain what you're learning to someone else, because that's one of the marks of learning is that it's difficult to explain. It's attractive because you are learning it. It's okay to not be able to explain to someone else why you're so fascinated with the Alexander Technique or whatever it is you want to learn. Go ahead and learn it. Right. She used to say to people at the end of workshops, she said, well, you're going home now and people are probably going to ask you what you learned in Nebraska, which was sort of an esoteric location for, <laughs> for many of them. And she said, 
Uh, you probably shouldn't tell him that you came out here and learned a little bit of nothing. <laughs> Do you remember that? She used yeah. to say that. Well, um, maybe this is a good place to uh, to bring our conversation to a close. Um, my my guest has been Frannis Engel, who is an Alexander teacher in Waimea on the Big Island of Hawaii. We'll put a link to her website by the interview. If you uh, live in in Hawaii, uh, I'm guessing you're you're just about the only teacher there. I think I think you told me there was another one somewhere. There's but, another teacher here on the island, but he's an osteopath, so he he makes uh, and has a second business uh, mm-hmm. taking people out uh, uh, in a boat. So he's. He doesn't really have to teach Alexander technique; mm-hmm. just uses it for himself. But you're in Waimea, and that's a that's a short hop from Kona, which is a, a kind of a happening tourist place. There, I've been there sure. a few times, and uh, we will put, uh, also put a link uh, by this. In, well, this this interview will be posted at uh, Marjorie uh, website devoted to Marjorie Barstow. Uh, MarjorieBarstow.com and Marjorie is spelled M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E so we'll put the interview there Um, so Francis, thank you so much for being on the show today thank you Robert 